here on campus, if you are willing and able, would you stand uh, for our reading from God's Word today, uh, our scripture passage on which our sermon is based, and you can follow along on the screens as I read from John 2, and here's what it says. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told them, told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple. And in three days, I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it's taken 46 years to build this temple and you will raise it up in three days. But he was speaking about the temple of his body. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I want to say hi to uh, everyone here on campus, those joining us online. Great to be together. Uh, before we get to the sermon, I just want to highlight again our year of spiritual practices heading into the month of March tomorrow. Highly encourage you to jump in with us. Simple, easy practice daily of engaging with life with God, and I hope you take part in the month of March. If you're new with us, I'm really glad that you are here. We are in a sermon series called Unrelenting Rescue, where we find ourselves journeying with Jesus to the cross and his rescue to save sinners by grace. And today we find ourselves in this encounter with the money changers. And Jesus unpacks in this passage something that was incredible value for us in our modern culture, particularly in Orlando. And that is the value that we all have for the temple and its implications for our lives. Now, I know the second I say that, there's some in the room saying, Tyler, ancient temples have absolutely no value in my life at all. How could you possibly believe that? Oh, really? Oh, really? Well, if you could give me the next 30 minutes, maybe 35, maybe 40, hopefully not 40. I'd like to talk to you about the temples and how essential they are for your life and mine and why we need to listen to Jesus and the importance of the temple for us today. Four questions we must answer. What is a temple? Why do we need a temple? Where do we go to get it? And how do you know you've entered? First, what is a temple? And, and I want to say up front, uh, the, the knowledge I got from understanding the theology of the temple came from some from Tim Keller, but most of it from Dr. G.K. Beale. And if you're looking for a resource to further explore this concept of the biblical theology of the temple, uh, I, I can't recommend highly enough G.K. Beale's book, The Temple and the Church's Mission. It explores the theology of the temple from Genesis through, Re through Revelation. Now, as we see in our passage, we are at the Passover and people have journeyed up to Jerusalem. Most of the time uh, during in the city of Jerusalem, the, the population was about 80,000 people. But in these feasts and festivals like the Passover, 
the population would swell from up to 300 to 500,000 people. And they've come to the temple. Now, there are many different types of temples in the ancient world, but the ancients all knew the importance of the temple and its value for your life. Why? Well, just as much as we in this room know the importance of a crossroads. And if you don't believe me, I would ask you if you would like to be at the crossroads intersection of Horatio in 1792 at five o'clock in the afternoon, Monday through Friday. And if you've been there and you've experienced that, you know, you want nothing to do with Horatio in 1792 at five in the afternoon. The temple was the ultimate crossroads. It it was the cosmic crossroads. It was the place where heaven and earth met, where the, the temporal and the eternal met, where the supernatural and the natural met. It met in the temple. There was a sense in the temple that the transcendent invaded the ordinary. The temple housed the divine glory, the glory of the gods. The temple was the most important place on earth. But with temples, you would find priests, you'd find sacrifices, you'd find prayers. Why? Because there was a gap. What is the gap? The the temple is where you went to acknowledge the gap that you felt inside. The The gap at the crossroads, the gap that I feel very ordinary in the presence of the transcendent. The gap between the ideal person we want to be and the very, very, very ordinary person we are. The gap where we feel cut off, longing to be made whole. This gap where we felt insecure. The temple is where the ancients went to deal with this gap. The bridge to bridge that gap between the transcendent and the ordinary. This is the reason for the priests. This is the reason for the sacrifice. This is the reason for those prayers to bridge that gap. But I know someone has to be thinking, Tyler, we don't need temples anymore. We have science. We have modern advancements. We have technology. All all those questions the ancients had, we, we can answer those now. I don't think so. I don't think so. First of all, and I know the modern view has really taken some hits in the last few years because it cannot make sense of life for two reasons. First, in the 1900s, it was a very bad century because it exposed the evil in the human person. All you have to say is Holocaust and everybody knows. The, the beginning of the 1900s, even through the 1950s, uh, really held this modern idea that with enough science, uh, with enough advancement in technology, we will rid the world of evil, uh, rid the world of violence, rid the world of poverty. And at some point it began to take root in our modern world that aside from some great medical advancements, thank you, Advil. Aside from some great technological advancements, thank you, iPhone. We've come to grips with the fact that we have not solved the evil problem. We are the same people with the same issues as these ancient people. And the second one is simply this. We all still feel that gap. We all still feel that gap, but we, we, find, we see the gap between the person we know that we should be and the person that we really are. The gap with, that we're longing to be bridged. The gap that we feel caught off longing to be made whole. This really gets us to our second question. Why do we need a temple? Why, why do we need a temple? We need a temple to bridge that gap. 
to feel that insecurity. To, we, we all need a temple because we're looking for salvation somewhere, somewhere to bridge this gap that we all feel. We're looking for somewhere to deal with this longing that we have inside. You see, everything in our culture is offering us a temple. Philosopher James K.A. Smith wrote a wonderful book a couple years back called Desiring the Kingdom. And in that book, he unpacks how our modern culture is offering you and I a way to worship. It's offering us many, many different temples. It's offering us a liturgy, he says. Liturgy just meaning a way to worship. What are the practices that you can take on in your life to deal with this longing we all feel to bridge the gap? And one of the great insights and examples he talks about in his book is that he says the mall, the mall that you and I go to is not a neutral space. No, he says the Altamont Mall, the Mall of Millennia are actually temples. He says the mall is the most religious site in all of Orlando. Stay with me and I promise we'll get there. (laughs) He says it is charged with ritual and liturgy for how to worship. As you walk the mall, much like you would find icons in a religious space, you find icons in the mall. Those icons are better known as mannequins. Mannequins offering you a way to see what salvation looks like. Buy these shoes. Try on that dress. Purchase this watch. There's evangelism taking place at the mall. Good news for all people who would hear. Good news for all who would listen. This weekend only, buy two pairs of jeans and get the third pair free, but only this weekend. Once you get this life, once you're in this suit, once you're in these jeans, these jeans, all your longings will be satisfied. The, the gap w- between you and who you want to be will be bridged. We go into these stores and we begin to look around for what could possibly solve our problem. How could we bridge this gap? Does this shirt fit right? Question for you this morning. Is there a priest there to greet you in that store? Absolutely. They walk up to you with that smile, that smile that they all have. And they, they will say something like, let me know if you need help finding anything. Glad you are here. Just so you know, just so you know, it's buy two pair of jeans and get the third prayer pre, but only this weekend. So glad you're here. Is there a sacrifice in that temple? You better believe there's a sacrifice. And who is there to receive your sacrifice? But the priest. That'll be 7265 today. As we end our Christian worship, our liturgy and our Christian service, we end uh, with something called a benediction. You may not have heard of that word, but in Latin, bene means good and diction means word. Our benediction just means a good word. Are you offered a good word as you leave the temple of the mall? You better believe you are. After you've made your sacrifice on your way out the door, the priest will hold up hands and say, thanks for coming. Good to see you. Come again soon. Enjoy those jeans. 
Now, please don't hear me saying that you should never go to the mall or ever buy those pairs of jeans. I'm not saying that. I just want you to make sure you know that the mall is not a neutral site of goods and services. The mall is a temple offering you salvation, offering you a way to worship, offering you a way to bridge the gap. It's giving us a liturgy for how to fix the longing. What we have to see in our modern culture, as much as we have tried to get rid of temples, we have found that we all need a temple. We all need a place to worship, some place that we go to bridge the gap. The temple business, I will confess, you may not agree with me, the temple business, I think, has never been stronger. This is the way David Zoll puts it. He says this, polls polls tell us that confidence in religious narratives we've inherited has collapsed. What they fail to report is that the marketplace in replacement religion is booming. We may be sleeping in on Sunday mornings in greater numbers, but we've never been more pious. Religious observance hasn't faded amidst secularization so much as migrated, and we've got the anxiety to prove it. And I love this last line. We're seldom not in church. Here's what Zal is saying. We're all worshiping. We're all in search and in need of a temple, a place to sacrifice, to bridge the gap. I was reading in a book recently by Naomi Wolf. The book is called The Beauty Myth. And in the book, she talks about the temple of beauty and that women are given this elusive standard out there that they must meet. Once you get this place, once you get to this place in your beauty, all your problems will be solved. And our culture's evangelism, our good news for women is do everything you possibly can to get to this standard. What will you sacrifice to get here? Now, don't think that this is just a woman problem, but the same invitation is given to men as well. Eat eat this food, do this workout, take this product, and men deal with the same sort of shaming. Just, I would confess, probably not to the level of women, but still the same shaming of you're not meeting this standard. I remember reading recently about a Hollywood actor. If I said his name, you would know who he is. He's A-list, whatever A-list means, by the way. He has uh, now had a kid and, um, you know, he went to, they've spotted him at the beach. The paparazzi spotted him at the beach with his kid playing in the water. Uh, but the article isn't highlighting how he's in the water, having a great time with his child, um, how he's, he's taking a break from all of his acting career to be and spend time with his son. Uh, the article doesn't highlight, uh, this, what great signs of love, what a devoted father. No, that's not what the article's about. The article is about how he no longer looks like he did in his movies. The article talks about how this actor now has what has been effectually called the dad bod, the dad bod, the dad bod comes for all of us men. And if you're not familiar with this modern cultural term of shaming, it's when the dad starts to begin to rock a sweet gut around the midsection because he does not have the time nor the metabolism of his former self. And they're just shaming this guy. The article's title literally was, look who has let themselves go. And in the comments below of this article, the shaming continued. One girl essentially wrote, I cannot believe what has happened to him. It is so sad. It is so sad. We all need a temple. We all need a temple. And Orlando is filled with them. Naomi Wolf comments in her book that the very beauty that promised freedom and salvation 
is the very beauty in life that only leads to further bondage. Now, someone's probably thinking, uh, but Tyler, I know all about those ancient temples. There was child sacrifice at those temples. How primitive, how archaic. Yes. In the surrounding nations of Israel, there were sacrifices to the gods. And that was one of the main sacrifices was child sacrifice to show your devotion, to show your allegiance to the gods. Uh, the god Molech, uh, this was one thing that he required. He required child sacrifice. Yes, it was primitive. But don't believe for a second that it is over. There's plenty of child sacrifice that continues today. You see, when we enter the temple of career and we sacrifice to bridge that gap that we feel inside, who gets left behind in the workaholic hours? What happens when we cannot turn the job off? What happens when the mind is always racing? I, I, I know pastors who even struggle. I even heard about a new pastor uh, who has this temple, a new pastor, a lead pastor in Maitland of all places. Now he has a lot of other issues, but he for sure goes to this temple. His wife, Rachel will ask him sometimes. <laughs> I know you're here, but where are you in your head? Friends, Orlando is filled with temples. Something is promising us salvation. We're all looking for salvation. We're looking for a temple. We need a temple. It's promising us it can fix the gap. It can heal the longing of feeling cut off. The problem is almost every other temple has you bringing the sacrifice. You bring the work. You earn the approval. But have you noticed every temple requires you to keep coming back again and again and again? Nothing is ever enough. The scorekeeping continues and you only feel like you are falling behind. And I want to make sure you realize today that while you feel that is just you, I want to make sure you realize that that is all of us. The scorekeeping never ends and we feel like we were always falling behind. Every temple judges you. You're not living up to the standard. You're not going to make it. And even when you think you finally have made it, even when you think you've arrived, the gap is still there. By the age of 30, Tom Brady had already won three Super Bowls, an accomplishment that's already had set him apart as one of the best quarterbacks to ever play the game of football. Today, most football analysts simply call him the GOAT, the greatest of all time. But in 2005, Tom Brady was interviewed by 60 Minutes, Steve Croft, and after he had, this was after he had already won three Super Bowls. And earlier this month, he won his seventh, Go Bucks. But despite the fame and career accomplishments he had achieved already, Brady told Croft that he felt like something was still missing from his life. Listen to what he says. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think something is greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey man, this is what it's all about. I reached my goal, my dream, my life. Me, I think there's got to be more to life than this. I mean, this can't be all it's cracked up to be. Steve Croft, who was interviewing Tom Brady as a great journalist would, pressed in on that issue, pressed in on that dilemma. Tom, can you, what do you think it is? Here's what he said. 
What's the answer? I wish I knew. I wish I knew. I love playing football. I love being quarterback for this team. But at the same time, I think there's a lot of other parts about me that I'm trying to find. Tom Brady is searching for a temple. But this is the issue of the human condition. We all need a temple where we all feel insecure <laughs> here in this room online. We all feel insecure. We're all looking for that gap to be bridged, but we never feel like we've done enough. Nothing ever feels like it is enough. The longing hasn't been dealt with. I mean, Brady is the goat and he feels it. If we all need a temple to bridge the gap, but we can't. If we all need a temple to fix the longing, but it only we find that we have only more longing, where do we go to find it? That's our third question. And in our passage, Jesus tells us where the money changers missed it. This is what Jesus says. Destroy this temple, and in three days, I will raise it up. The money changers' response says it all. They, they actually think Jesus is talking about the actual temple that's right behind them where they're giving their sacrifices. But Jesus is telling them that's not where you're going to find it. As C.S. Lewis said, as he put in the weight of glory, the temple cannot fix the inconsolable longing that we all feel. Well, where do we go to find it then? Well, Jesus goes on in verse 21, and this is what he says. But Jesus was speaking about the temple of his body. Jesus is telling us we're all searching for a temple. We're all trying to bridge the gap. But Jesus tells us there's only one temple where we can find the salvation we are all searching for. One temple where the scorekeeping is done. One temple where the insecurity is finished. One temple where the cut off are satisfied. Jesus says, I'm the temple to which all other temples have been pointing. I'm the cosmic crossroads. I'm the place of heaven and earth. I'm the place where the supernatural and the natural meet. I'm the place where the transcendent and the ordinary meet. I am the one who houses the divine glory. This is the way the apostle Paul talks about Jesus as the ultimate temple. This is what he says in Colossians. For in him, Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on heaven or in, on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. The fullness of God was pleased to dwell. That's what he's saying. The fullness of God. Jesus is saying, I house the divine glory. I am the priest. I am the sacrifice. I am the salvation you're looking for. I will get rid of the judgment you're feeling because I will bear that judgment on the cross. I will be destroyed. I will be torn down. So the gap is bridged between heaven and earth. Will you come to me? Will you come to me? I'm the only temple that can give you what you're looking for. So how do you know you've entered the temple? How do you know you've entered the temple and you have found this salvation? Well, that's our final question. How, how do you know you've entered? Well, we can tell a lot if, when we know if we've entered this temple by the encounter with the money changers. What we find is that this is one of the strongest rebukes by Jesus in all the gospels. The question is, why is Jesus so upset? It, it is not because they're selling animals, as some believe, this was a common and much needed practice in the ancient world as people would come from all over the Roman empire to Jerusalem to offer sacrifice. It was impossible for you to carry the animal all that way with you for the sacrifice. The reason Jesus was so upset 
is because the selling of animals used to happen outside of the temple, even outside of the city gates in the Kidron Valley. You have to imagine the scene now. The money changers are literally sitting in the court of the Gentiles. Sacrifices are happening right behind them. The the scene that I imagine um, pre-COVID is the scene on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. So much chaos, so much commotion going on. How can anyone think straight? Jesus is upset because the faith of the money changers is mechanical at best and cavalier at worst. They've forgotten they are in the cosmic crossroads. They've become apathetic to the place where heaven and earth meet. They should have realized that they were in the presence of a holy God and they should have been concerned saying to one another, we, we should not be here. We should not be here. About 15 years ago, I had gone on a trip to South Africa to help build a manse for a local pastor there. And uh, the first problem on the trip was that I was actually on a construction site, which should never happen again. But after we had finished this week and a half project, sun up to sundown, working tirelessly in the heat of the sun, uh, we, we were heading back and we got to the airport to fly home and we were just so tired, but sharing great stories of our trip together. And me and uh, a few other guys had journeyed off to, we got to our gate, journeyed off to use the restroom before we took off on our very long flight. And as we're walking, sharing stories, having a great conversation, we turned the corner only to realize we had just walked into the ladies restroom (laughs) and the sheer terror and shock. As we saw a woman's face from the sink, staring at us in fear, but whatever fear she felt, the fear inside of us was infinitely stronger that we all knew we should not be here. We should not be here. How do you know you've entered? You have an overwhelming sense that I should not be allowed to enter. You have an awareness of a perfect and holy God in the gap between you, uh, an awareness that even the good things that I do they're they are filled with mixed motives. But when we get a glimpse of the holy, it causes two things. First, we're able to let go of our defensiveness. I remember hearing a story about a pastor who was approached right after the service by a parishioner who just laid into him uh, about his sermons, about the decisions he'd been making, about his character. And I just asked, please don't do that to me. Find me during the week. Our usual response is to defend and bite back. But this pastor, because he knew the gap in his own life, simply said, oh, sir, you don't even know the half of it. If that all, if that was what it all was. Oh, I wish that was it. This man was able to abandon his defensiveness because he knew the depths of his own shortcomings. We're free to never boast about our lives, to let go of our defensiveness because we know we should not be here. There is a gap. There is a gap. I love the way the great Jack Miller put it. This is how he said it. Cheer up. You're worse than you ever dared imagined. Cheer up, friends. It's worse than you think. And only in the temple do you realize this reality. Second, we're able to abandon our criticism. The sad reality is that the people closest to us receive our sharpest words. But when we get a glimpse of the holy and our gap, we're able to release others from our judgment because we're able to say to ourselves, 
cheer up. You're worse than you ever dared imagined. When you come to Jesus, the ultimate temple, we must get a glimpse of the holy, the depth of depravity, the overwhelming sense, I should not be here. How can I stand before God at the cosmic crossroads? This is the first test you know you've entered. You're aware of the gap and you are in the presence of the holy. I can never boast. I can never boast. I should not be here. But the second is just as crucial. You know you've entered because you see the sacrifice. This is what it says in verse 17. Zeal for your house will consume me. Jesus saw the gap. He saw our need. He saw the religious festivals were not going to fix anything. And the zeal for the temple consumed him. The question is, how did it consume him? Well, on the cross, Jesus, the ultimate temple, gave up his life as the perfect sacrifice. Don't you see that he was consumed? Don't you see that he was destroyed to bridge the gap? You see, we just can't recognize the holiness. That's the first part. We have to see it. But what happens if we only recognize the first part is we will say, oh, Tyler, you are so right. Oh, I need to stop doing this. Oh, Tyler, you are so right. I I need to quit this habit. I I need to be very, very good now. But that will never fix the gap. It will never close the gap. This is why religion is so dangerous, is that we think we can bridge the gap, but only you will be consumed. Only you will be destroyed if that happens. Jesus says, I'm the temple. I'm the priest. I'm the sacrifice. I'm the only one who can bridge the gap. I'm the only one who can give you the salvation that you have been desperately looking for in a thousand other places. And I was consumed for you. I was destroyed for you. I was torn down for you. Do you see that? That's how you know that you've come to the ultimate temple when you can see the sacrifice. When you can see that Jesus was consumed for you, nothing in this world can bridge the gap but him. We must see the depths that Jesus went for us. He was consumed for us to offer his life for you. Do you see that? You know, you've entered the temple when you were able to say, Jesus, I have turned to other temples to satisfy the gap, but they have only left me exhausted. Jesus, you are my temple. You are my priest. You are the sacrifice that was consumed for me to bridge the gap, to purchase the salvation I have tried to earn in a thousand other places. That's when you know you've entered, when you can say that. When you can say, Jesus is the temple that I've been longing for. Jesus is the temple to which all other temples have been pointing. When you can say that, when you're able to be floored by God's holiness, I shouldn't be here. I can never boast. But at the same time, at the same time, you're overwhelmed by the grace of God. I will always boast. I will always boast. I will boast of the salvation Jesus has accomplished for me. I love the way Jack Miller put it. He said it this way. Cheer up. You're worse than you ever dared imagined. And you're more loved than you ever dared hope. Do you have that hope? In a sermon uh, preached by the great Dick Lucas in Britain, he recounted an imaginary story between an ancient Christian in the first century and her neighbor in Rome. And this this is how it went. 
Ah, the neighbor says, I hear you're religious. Great. Religion is a good thing. Where is your temple or holy place? We don't have a temple, replies the Christian. Jesus is our temple. No temple, but, but where do your priests work and, and do their ritual? We don't have priests to mediate the presence of God, replies the Christian. Jesus is our priest. No priests. But, but where do you offer your sacrifices to acquire the favor of the God? We don't need a sacrifice, replies the Christian. Jesus is our sacrifice. Well, what kind of religion is this? Sputters the pagan neighbor. And the answer is, it's no kind of religion at all. Friends, come to him. Come to him. Jesus, the ultimate temple who was consumed for you. Come to him, the great victor of your souls and find the salvation you've been looking for. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you uh, for this overwhelming grace that you have shown us in the gospel, that Jesus has bridged the gap, that he is the temple to which all their temples have been pointing, all their temples where we've been searching. We are in awe of your holiness, that we shouldn't be here, but we're overwhelmed by your love that you invite us to come. We pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen, amen.